Well, take your Bibles, if you're not already there, to James chapter 1. Thank you for bringing this up here, by the way, my dear brother. James chapter 1. Why in the world does God allow trials to come into our lives? Some people say there couldn't be a God because a loving God would never allow tough things to come into our lives. Well, I don't believe anything could be further from the truth. He knows that we need to go through tough times sometimes because they, those tough times make us depend on him. And if we never had a problem, we wouldn't know that God could solve them, as Andre Crouch said. So I'm going to talk to you again. Let's read the text one more time and talk to you, give you three reasons why God allows trials in your life. And I'm tempted to ask you to raise your hand if you're going through a trial right now, but I'm not going to do that. I know that many of you are, and all of us do go through trials. So I know that this is a pertinent sermon, and it will speak to your heart if you'll listen with spirit-filled ears. Verse 2 in James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when... Not if, by the way, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has reserved and promised to those who love him. Well, why does God allow trials in our lives? First of all, so we can exhibit a cheerful response. You say, Brother Steve, that's crazy. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're not rejoicing for the trial, you're rejoicing in the midst of the trial that God is teaching you in the trial and bringing you through the trial. You're rejoicing. The, the joy that you exhibit in your trial is a statement of faith like none other. Again, look at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Some in, amazing words here. These Christians, by the way, were Jewish Christians primarily, and they were doubly hated, if you will. The Gentiles hated them because they were Jews. The Jews that were not Christians hated them because they said Jesus was the Messiah. So it really didn't matter if they were Jews or Gentiles. They just had enemies on both sides. Nevertheless, James said, in the midst of all your problems, consider it all joy. That word consider is actually a verb of command. It's not a suggestion. He's telling them, God is commanding you to view your trials as a golden opportunity to display the joy that Christ puts in your heart even when you're going through tough times. They were to face trials with, it says, all joy. And it means complete, full, supreme, the highest sort of joy. 
say, where have I heard that? Sermon on the Mount. By the way, the book of James is one of the greatest commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount you'll ever find. Do you remember what Jesus said about this in the Beatitudes? He said in Matthew 5, verse 10 and following, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of God is, heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So what is your reaction? Jesus says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Look at me. Almost everybody, well, remove the almost, everybody in the Bible that lived for God was persecuted. Name it. Moses, Abraham, Jeremiah. Just go through the whole list. Go to the New Testament. Jesus was persecuted, and he was perfect. Paul was persecuted. Paul was either going into jail, in jail, or coming out of jail all the time. Peter was persecuted. He was locked up in jail. James was killed. Not this James, but James, the brother of John. And John was arrested and put on an island as an old man, almost 100 years old. They made him work in a rock quarry for about two years. Every Christian, you're going to have some problems. It's when, not if, you encounter various trials. They're inevitable. It is part of God's sovereign, now listen, sanctifying plan. God is not interested in our comfort. Oh, we like comfort, don't we? If you don't believe that, check out a lazy boy recliner, amen? We love comfort. We love our comfort. We like the temperature just right. We like to eat what we want to eat when we want to eat it. We like to drink what we want to drink when we want to drink it. We like to wear what we want to wear. We like to be comfortable. With all due respect, God is not very interested in your comfort. He is interested in you becoming Christ-like. And so he allows some of these hard things to come along so that you won't trust in yourself. You'll trust in him. Talks about not just trials, but very various trials. And he, he talks about not just trials, but they're inevitable. You encounter them. It's a Greek word, parapipto, and it means to fall into a trial that is unexpected, a difficult situation that you didn't see coming. Now, let's just take a little vote here or whatever. How many of you ever have just fallen into something and you didn't see it coming and it was a hard thing? Raise your hand. Anybody out there? Sure. Yeah. Not long ago, Don and I were sitting at a red light, minding our own business, driving the speed limit all day long. And we're sitting at the red light, turns green, car in front of us goes, we start to go and wham, we get hit right behind from behind. And uh, <laughs> it, it did a lot of damage to the car. You say, what are you, what are you talking about? We drove the, that car a long way, damaged. Now it's being repaired. We didn't see it coming. 
That's what he's talking about, parapipto. You just fell among something. It's the word that was used. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, the guy that fell among robbers, Luke chapter 10? He was just walking from Jericho or from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was just walking down the road. I've been on the road 15 times, a little winding road with a ravine over there. And he was just going down there and all of a sudden robbers came up and just beat him up and stole everything he had. He fell, it's the, that's the exact same word. Boom, a trial shows up. You didn't see it coming, you're doing what you're supposed to be. You're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're fasting, living for the Lord and all those things and wham, out of nowhere, shows up. Why does God allow that? Notice also, this is not talking about temptation. God doesn't tempt you to sin. God tests you, but God never tempts you, ever. In fact, the Bible says there are three sources for temptation. You ready for this? Satan, this evil world in which we live, but don't miss the last one, our sinful selves, our sinful nature. Satan the evil world, and our sinful nature. That's where sin comes from. That's why later on we're gonna study in James chapter one, verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Don't we, don't we hear that in America all the time? Somebody embraces a sin and say, they say, God made me this way. God just made me this way. No, no, <laughs> God didn't make you that way. You made you that way. You chose to sin. God didn't make you a sinner. You chose to sin. It's not on God. Your sin's not on God. It's on you. Quit blaming God. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot, tempt, can, cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, what does it give birth to? Sin. And when sin is accomplished, what happens? It brings forth death. God does not tempt you to sin so that you'll fall spiritually, but God does test you with trials to make you strong spiritually. And when those trials come along, it's a great way for you to witness to other people by just simply saying, well, I didn't see this one coming, but praise God anyway. Praise God anyway. There was a man who lived back in the third century. We don't know his name. But he gave one of the greatest quotes. He was not a Christian, but he saw the Christians living a wonderful life. He penned these words to a friend. He said, it's a bad world in which we live, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful lives. They are despised, they are persecuted, but they care not. 
They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I have become one of them. Now, why did he become a Christian? Because even though they were persecuted, put down, tested, they rejoiced. Oh, friends, don't miss it. Don't miss the chance to witness to lost people. Don't miss the chance to honor God. When you have a trial, don't go around moaning all the time, but rather exhibit a cheerful response. When you have pain, you don't praise God for the pain, but you praise God in the pain. When you suffer, you don't praise God and sing and celebrate for the suffering, but you do it in the midst of the suffering. You sing and you celebrate. You bless God even when you're under a burden. Remember Job? Next time you think you've had a bad day, go read the book of Job. I led a guy to the Lord one time. He called it the book of Job. He didn't know any better. Job lost all of his crops, all of his animals, farm animals, all of his wealth, lost his health, and then lost all 10 of his children at one time. A wall fell on them. A, a great wind came through and knocked the wall in and killed. The whole house collapsed on his children who were at a place and they were dining with one another. His wife was so disturbed. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? And do you know why God allowed that trial? Because the devil said, if you will let something bad happen to him, Job will curse you to your face. Did Job curse God? That's what the devil wanted. That's what his wife said she wanted. But how did he respond? Job 2.10, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? How many of you know that there's going to be good and there's going to be bad? Amen. That doesn't change anything about us praising the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. If you ever got a book signed by Adrian Rogers, the guy that was here before me for 30-something years, he would sign his book with Psalm 34, verse 1. And what does that verse say? Read it with me, please. Read it good and strong. I will bless the Lord. Now say this now. At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Isn't that a great verse? Doesn't that coincide with what we're talking about? You choose that. You just say, that's my default. I'm not going to gripe and complain and start calling everybody and saying, woe is me. No, I'm going to rejoice in the midst of it and show everybody that I'm in love with the Lord. Boy, when the Early disciples got beaten for being Christians. They rejoiced. Acts 5 says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council. That's the Sanhedrin that had beaten them, rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Paul said in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
Paul said in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord, not sometimes, but always. And again, I say rejoice. He also said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything, give thanks. Why? This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And it wasn't just the will of God for the Thessalonians. It was the will of God for you and for me. Lost your job? I know it hurts. But God will provide for you. You can rejoice even in that circumstance. Lost your health? Problems at home? Do you have a deep wound and scar? Listen to me. In the midst of it, Trust the Lord enough and keep on praising him. Don't let the devil steal your praise toward God. Don't let a trial do that. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, fall into unexpectedly like that guy on the road to Jericho when the thieves got him. When you fall into that just exhibit a cheerful response when you encounter various trials. Now, the second thing is this. God allows trials so that we can experience Christ-like results. Now, what in the world could that be? He tells us in verses 3 and 4, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. Endurance. Now, what does the word testing mean? Dokomion is the Greek word, and it means to analyze or to examine. And I want to tell you what it really means, too. This testing was what was left. It was the residue that remained after a metal was purged with fire. It was what was left. It burns all the residue off. Peter talked about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. All of 1 Peter is written to persecuted Christians. It says in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, there it is, the testing, the examining, dokomion, of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter said these trials that you're experiencing are there just because Christ gives them to you to test your faith, the genuineness, and to make it a pure quality of faith. And the testing of your faith produces something, and that is endurance. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Hupo mone, and it means to stand firm, steadfastly persevere. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 7, he will have eternal life, he will give eternal life to those who keep on, there it is, hupo monet, 
doing good, who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. That's Christian endurance. You don't quit. You keep on. It is staying power, spiritual grit, if you will. It is resilience. I'm not giving up. In the words of the great theologian Rocky Balboa, it's not how hard you can hit that makes you a winner. Now listen, really is good. But how hard you can get hit and get up and keep going. That's a winner. Paul said in Romans 5, 3, you need this endurance. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We rejoice in our sufferings, not for them, but in them we rejoice. Why? Knowing that suffering produces what? Say it out loud. Endurance. There it is. Hebrews 10, 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Hebrews 12, verse one, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and he had just talked in Hebrews 11 about all these great Christian leaders. He said, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses like these surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It is a marathon <laughs> and you have to run with endurance. Set your pace and then run. You're going to get tired. There's going to be hills. There's going to be potholes. It, how many of you know that God doesn't keep us on level ground very often? Amen? He doesn't. There's always a hill. There's always a pothole. You've got to be watching out all the time. It's just the way life is. It's not some smooth sailing. Well, I'm just going to get saved, and I'll never have another problem. Ha! I'll say it twice. Ha, ha. Fat chance. You get saved, the devil's coming after you. I didn't bother him. Yes, you did. You embraced Jesus, and the devil hates the Jesus in you. But God can even take anything the devil deals your way, anything this world deals your way, anything sin can bring your way. God can turn it all into something good. So you just start rejoicing and saying, God, I praise you, not for the trial, but I praise you in the midst of the trial because I'm getting some endurance. And then what does endurance produce? Verse four, let endurance have its perfect teleos result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when this refers to things, it means something that is perfect. But when it refers to people, perfect means mature, full grown. God is maturing you with these trials. God is making you more like Jesus. He is perfecting you until you are fully developed morally and spiritually. 
That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5, 48, therefore you are to be perfect, teleos, morally developed and mature. That's what he means, as your heavenly father is perfect. You're to be mature like your heavenly father is perfectly mature. You're to mature, you're to grow in grace. This is not sinless perfectionism as some people say. They say, some people say, you can reach such a level of sanctification that you can be spiritually totally perfect, wrong. You'll never reach perfection, even though that's the goal. First John says in First John 1, 8 through 10, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. We're showing that the word has no place in our hearts. We cannot, we will never in this life reach a level of sinless perfection, but we can reach an ever higher level of Christ-like maturity. That's the goal. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why does God allow these trials, unexpected trials, to develop us and to mature us spiritually? It is God's pathway for spiritual maturity. You ever wondered what happens you ever wondered why, you know, you, especially if you're a weekend warrior and you work out once a week, you know? You ever wondered why your muscles get so tight and all that? What's going on? What's this lactic attack? Have you ever heard of that? If you don't know what that is, give thanks. But anyway, if you've ever lifted weights and all of a sudden these things are burning and you're, you're saying, what happened here? Well, I invited an army ranger to tell you what happens when you lift weights. Here he is. I'm AJ Tucker, and this is what happens to your muscles when you lift weights. Whenever you lift weights, for example, let's say if I'm doing a bicep curl, I curl the weight and it tears down my muscle over time. It takes about 24 to 72 hours for my muscles to recover. If I did a really intense workout, it may take an entire week. But what happens to the muscles is you get thousands of micro tears in the muscles, and then it takes time to recover. The muscle rebuilds, it comes back a little bit bigger, a little stronger, and it's prepared for that same exact workout. And so that's why you change the workout, you do it again, and you increase the intensity. You tear down the muscles again, they come back a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. That's what happens when you work out. You tear your muscles. That's why you ache so bad when you lift weights once a week. You need to do it a little bit more often. And when you tear them down, they come back stronger, just a little bit, and a little bit bigger. Now, not too many people have arms that look like that guy, all right? And it shows you that he's been lifting weights consistently. What would happen if you 
were to praise God in the midst of all this trouble that you have if you started seeing it like a spiritual workout. And you say, you know what? This is just a, an opportunity for me to get stronger spiritually. I'm going to view my trials as a spiritual elliptical machine. I'm going to look at my trials as a spiritual treadmill. I'm going to look at my trials as a spiritual set of weights that I lift. My trials will make me stronger in Christ. That is how you can rejoice. God doesn't want you to be a spiritual couch potato. <laughs> he is not going to leave you alone. He's not going to let you just be slobby and, 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 and just, you know, soft spiritually. He's going to make sure that you get a workout. He's going to send some trials your way so that you can work out. Now, again, this is not something that you won't be able to handle. If you're just starting off in the Christian life, God is not going to give you something you can't handle. It's just like if you start lifting weights and you sit down, you've never lifted weights before, and they put 225 pounds on the bench press. Look at me, no disrespect, but not one out of a thousand people who has never lifted weights could bench press 225 pounds, all right? No, you got to start off with something that you would not even want your spouse to see you lifting. You're going to have to start off with the bar. All right? It weighs 45 pounds. You got to start off with something small, and you're hoping that you don't drop that on yourself and hurt yourself, all right? You have to start small and build up. And that's what you need to understand. Paul, Paul understood God's not going to give you something, a trial. Look, He's not going to let a trial come to you that you can't handle in Jesus Christ. So whatever trial has come to you, that's how much God can entrust for you to trust Christ in to bring you through. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation, and the word there mean is not talking about temptation, it's talking about trials primarily, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who won't let you be tempted or tested beyond what you're able, but with that temptation or testing or trial will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Why does God give us trials? He gives us trials so we can experience this Christ-like results. When he tests us, it produces endurance, and that endurance produces that spiritual strengthening and maturity that God wants us to have. God does not want us to be spiritually soft, so he sends us trials. God allows us to go through trials, number one, so we can exhibit a cheerful response and be a praise and testimony to him. God gives us trials so we can experience Christ-like results. We're going to have endurance. We're going to be strong. We're going to be mature through our trials and then thirdly, God allows us to go through trials so we can enjoy our cherished reward. Look at verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is heaven talk, okay? People who go through trials are blessed. Blessed 
is the man who perseveres under trial. It's the Greek word makarios. It's the word used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Go read it in Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Eight of them, or nine times it's used, makarios. And it means happy, privileged, with divine favor, blessed, fortunate. A man who perseveres under trial is blessed. And what are you to do? You're to persevere under those trials. That word means to stand your ground. You stand your ground. You remain. You don't quit. You endure whatever the trial dishes out. You endure it because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Verse 12 is a verb. And it says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. In verse 3, and here it says, you are to persevere. You are to persevere under trial. For once you've been approved, once you have been approved, you've been tested in battle, you're reliable, you are trustworthy. You've walked through the fire like we talked about this today in our songs You went through the fire of adversity. You've come through on the other side. God has allowed you to be victorious. Once you've been approved, you're going to receive a crown, a crown of life. It is an ornament for a conquering soldier. It was a garland laid upon the head of a victorious athlete. It's the crown of life. It is Jesus Christ giving you not only abundant life on earth, but everlasting life in heaven. And who is it promised to? It's promised to those who love Jesus. Don't you want that crown of life? Abundant life here. Everlasting life there. Man, you can't lose as a Christian. But you're going to go through trials. But I want to say this to you. The reward is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it all, as the song says, when we see Jesus. I wasn't that great of a football player. I was okay. But I learned a lot playing football. And I remembered, as I was doing this sermon, I remembered a specific day back in the September of 1974, do the math. It was a while ago. And I remember out there, I was with 45 sweaty, stinky guys. And I had taken a knee. We were taking a break. It was hot, September, Dyersburg. You know, there's humidity. Does anybody know there's humidity in the Mid-South? That's why it's so cold outside right now. Temperature is bad, but the humidity makes it worse. And in the summer, it makes it hotter. It's like an oven. So we were out there, 45 of us, and school was breaking up. Kids were going home, driving by. We were out in the practice field. I'll never forget it. All 45 of us, we were just taking a a knee. It It was hot. Oh, man, it was hot. We were tired. And somebody yelled at us as they went by in their cars on the way home. Sorry, it's hot. That'll bless your heart. 
Sorry, it's hot. They're ragging us. Saying, man, if you weren't out there playing football, you could be in this air-conditioned car with us. And our coach looked at us and grinned. He said, don't worry about it, boys. Those folks that are ragging you now will never know what it's like to win a victory on Friday night. They'll never know. You're going through this time right now for the reward. And that year, we were the first team in Dyersburg history to go to the state playoffs. Nowadays, everybody goes to the state playoffs because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Amen? <laughs> but back in those days, it was not dumbed down. You had to win out. In fact, my, you're going to think I'm telling the story, but I'm not. You can go check it if you want to. My junior year, we were 9-1, and one, and we didn't make the state playoffs. You had to win out. My senior year went 9-1. and one. Covington beat us. And we couldn't go to the state playoffs. But then I found out the night after we had won our ninth game that Memphis East had beat an undefeated team here in Memphis, and Memphis East was 9-1 and one just like us. And so we got to play for the first time in all of Dyersburg history in the state playoffs, and we beat Memphis East, and we went to the semifinals, and we lost, and that team the next week won the whole thing. We were third in the state that year. I say all that to simply say I understood what my coach was saying. If you don't go through the difficulties of practice, you never reap the reward. Some of y'all are going through a tough time, and I am not making light of it. You're going through a hard time. Don't quit. Stay in the stuff. God is using this to make you more like Jesus. It's not just reading your Bible that makes you more like Jesus. It's staying in the stuff and depending on Jesus. It is considering it all joy when you encounter, when you fall into accidentally, didn't see it coming, some strange, various, multicolored trial. God is allowing it. And one of these days, you're going to be out of this sinful world and you're going to be in heaven and praise God, no more trials in heaven, but there will be more trials here. You can, look, I'm just going to tell you as a Christian, you're either walking into one, you're in one, or you're walking out of one, all right? Because God's not going to let you go without something that will help build up your spiritual muscles, Amen. So start looking at your trials as, as a way for God to give you a victory. It's like, all right, God's entrusted me with this trial. I didn't see it coming. I was just sitting at the red light and wham! <laughs> didn't see it coming. I didn't see this coming, Brother Steve. I didn't see my spouse leaving me. I didn't see my child living in sin. I, I never saw it coming. I never saw it, brother. I, I, didn't, I was working hard. I didn't know. 
I was going to lose my job. I didn't know. I, I just went to, to the doctor for a checkup, and, and, and they gave me this news, Brother Steve. I, I didn't know it was going to happen. What am I supposed to do? You're to look up to heaven and say, God, I'm not in the devil's hands. I'm in your hands. And so I'm going to give you praise even in the midst of the trial. You've brought me through before. You'll do it again.